Welcome to Lyme Time. I'm Allie from the Tick Chicks. We are all more than Lyme disease and chronic illness, and together we stand with you to overcome and rise. I'll bring you closer to the experts in cutting-edge treatments and even a few unexpected ways of healing. I'll ask the questions you want answers to regarding Lyme disease and successful ways of getting you closer to 100%. We are in this together and will not be defined by Lyme. Today on Lime Time, I am very excited to welcome my special guest, Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge, and she is an integrative and pediatric mental health expert. Dr. Roseanne stands as a mental health pioneer, media persona, and the architect of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health Neurotastic Brain Formulas and Dr. Roseanne LLC. She's committed to altering mental health perceptions and interventions, offering a message of hope through science-endorsed methods that promote brain serenity. Her Brain Behavior Reset Program and It's Gonna Be Okay podcast has been a cornerstone for thousands facing daunting challenges such as PANS, PANDAS, OCD, anxiety, and ADHD executive functioning, significantly bettering the lives of children and families. Welcome, Dr. Roseanne. Well, I'm excited for this conversation. I know it's going to help a lot of parents, and I'm grateful for the work you do to support the Lyme community because we need accurate information and we need to teach people about solutions. Absolutely. And I know there are many, many parents out there listening who are desperate for answers right now and just some feedback. How did you become passionate about children's mental health and how they navigate the world? Yeah, well, you know, I my story and how I got involved even within mental health is that when I was five years old, I was asked by my mom's friend, Angela, what I wanted to do. And I said I wanted to be a psychiatrist, which I had no exposure to or no (laughs) knowledge. And it came out of my mouth. And over the time, over time, I realized a psychiatrist was a pill pusher. So I said, I want to be helping and talking to people. So I changed that to a psychologist. And when I was in undergrad, right, it was always one to do internships and volunteer and get out there. I, I needed experience. I didn't want to just do books, even though I love all the nerdy stuff, too. I started working with kids and I just fell in love with kids because they don't know they can't be different or can't get better. They believe and trust adults. And there was such an impact when I would work with kids. And so I just said, this is what I have to do. And my journey to Lyme was that in 1997, I had my first chronic Lyme case. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Chronic Lyme. I was working in a school. I said to myself, what is this? This kid has sensory sensitivity, school phobia. He had a port um, in the 90s. They did a lot more long-term antibiotics with a port. And he had all these learning and processing problems and all these things. And I remember, you know, so vividly thinking, oh my gosh, this kid has a lot of behaviors like so many of the other kids that I'm seeing. And I'm just one of those people that, you know, when I see something, I want to dive into it. If I see something not working or working. So he just opened my eyes. And within a short amount of time after that, I began working privately because so many of the teachers I was working with wanted me to help their kids. And I just became known as 
the complex case lady, because I believe that everybody can get better. And when I'm on your team, if you're listening to me, um, following my recommendations, you know, making lifestyle changes, right? Because Lyme brings lifestyle changes to your life, whether you like it or not. Um, then I believe there's, you know, everybody can get better. Everybody can improve. So that just opened my world. And then I saw it. And I then would say, this looks like Lyme disease. And my first private case was somebody where their mom was a nurse and I was doing neuropsych testing. And when I was working with him, it seemed like he almost had multiple personality disorder. He would show up completely different every day. So finally I said to his mom, he was 15. I said, is he on drugs? And she said, absolutely not. I hair test him. And so I said, you know what, mom? come in tomorrow. Let's go deep into his history. Let's tear it apart. Let's figure this out. And really what we we realized is everything changed when he was five and he had a bizarre infection, a deep bone infection. And so I said to her, do you know what? What if it's Lyme disease? What if he has tick-borne infection? And I told her the story of the boy that I saw. And she said, I've wondered that but every doctor poo-poos it. And she's like, I'm going to get him tested. And he had it. And he had many co-infections as we learned. And that really became what I learned about, you know, the path moving forward and just how common it was and how many of these like cases where people have like bipolar or, you know, all these shopping cart diagnoses, five diagnoses all at once. And it just became something where I was like, okay, we got to rule it out in all of our complex cases. Um, at least we can say that we've done that work and people can get proper treatment. So sure. that was where, where it is. And now I've worked with thousands of people thank <laughs> um, goodness since you are, that time. Thank goodness you are here for us and our little, little warriors who, who are just so strong and so beautiful and all their parents out there who are just trying to navigate this mystery illness and it's nerve wracking for, for everyone. It uh, is. And, and also to just tell you, so then of course, nine years later, my own kid gets it. And so I am a mom of somebody with chronic Lyme, which we now know is pans because he has multiple infections and he got it at 22 months and knowing what I knew we were on top of it. We didn't know we had a, we didn't know we had a tick bite, you know, all the misconceptions that there's a rash, there's this. And it occurred at such a precarious time, right? Where there's all this mis, you know, understanding like, oh, your kids can just stop eating it too. No, not an Italian kid. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. It doesn't happen, Allie. And, <laughs> and he just changed. He changed. Right. And, but then a few months later, he did get a known tick bite. And, you know, we were working with an integrated physician and, you know, so I've been in the journey myself with my kid and it's, it's been a rough journey. And as you know, this is not anything you would wish upon anybody. Nobody's ever going to make this up. Um, and barriers to getting proper care is causing a lot more problems than helping. Wow. I, I just sympathize. You've, you've walked the, the walk, uh, with all of our parents out there and, and 
So I'm, I'm excited because you offer so many perspectives. You're not only the parent of a Lyme warrior, but you're also just such an incredible brain person. We, we need some science back here. And I, I know you have your own philosophies on this as well. And you're an ILADS doctor, which is incredible. So everybody out there who thinks that ILADS doctors aren't uh, prominent or at least represented represented in the um, ILADS community in the integrative medicine fields. Here she is right here in the flesh. So chronic illness in children, let's talk about how to help them articulate the younger children. How may, might they better articulate those moments of, of pain? Well, you know, I think Regardless of what is going on with your kid, right? So whether it's, you know, I talk about everything as dysregulation, right? And and so many people are coming to me and they're actually using the words dysregulation. My kid is emotionally dysregulated, behaviorally dysregulated. Uh, their attention is dysregulated. And so, you know, it's sort of become this umbrella for me. And, you know, to know a little bit about my work and I'm going to answer that question of how do we help our kids of all ages, including young kids, to connect with their discomfort and be able to articulate it because that's important. And I'll even share a story with my young child. But when we are, you know, looking at the brain and I do brain scans, I do QEG brain maps. So I'm able to see the structures and brain communication. And that's given me an incredible amount of information. I can, yes, I can see um, bacterial infections and viral infections. I am not a medical doctor. I'm a psychologist. So I send them to medical profession professionals to get testing. We need to identify what's there when we can, um, because not all tick-borne infections show up in it in it in even a reasonable timeline. I mean, my own kids, some of them it took like eight years right. to show up. And I went to one of the most famous well-known kids Lyme doctors, Dr. Charles Ray Jones, who passed away a few years ago, who was like an unbelievable trailblazer, Allie. Yeah. Like he was unbelievable. He, he, he's a, he is a character. Um, and, and so, so brilliant, right? Practiced until his nineties. And, you know, we, we have to understand the brain and understand the impact. And when it's dysregulated, a result, many things can happen. And, and, you know, Tick-borne infection can get into any organ and the brain is an organ. It can get into the bladder. It could get into, you know, our endocrine system. I mean, there's just no limits of what it is. And what we know about tick-borne infection is sometimes, well, one, there's neuro neuroinflammation. So you're going to have brain inflammation and that's going to result. But also tick-borne infection can sort of awaken genetic variants and predisposition, predispositions. And that's why it can look so different. So some kids have a lot of physical pain. Some kids have chronic fatigue. Um, and when we are dealing with somebody who's struggling, we want to be able to help our child, right? And teens can shut down. Sometimes young kids can be really great at articulating. And a, and a great example is, you know, my Max, who has PANS um, and who's doing really well, he just turned 19 this week. Um, and it's been a journey and it's been in a path and we've gotten great care. I've only gone to experts. I didn't go to anybody else. And the path has been murky, right? Because we don't know everything. And certainly in all this time I've been working with people, 
there's some real clear things that people need to do and there are barriers to healing. And I hope we talk about that. But Max was able to articulate to me at three years old that his head hurt. And when I looked at him, I could see that his pupils were dilated and I knew he had brain inflammation. Mm -hmm. So I took him to the doctor. Thankfully, he said that to me because if he couldn't have said that to me, I might not have understood what was going on. When I went to the doctor, you know, basically I strong armed her and because of who I was, she gave me antibiotics, but she didn't believe in chronic Lyme. And I said, so what do you think this is? She says, I think it's allergies. She also told me it was perfectly normal that he literally stopped eating. I said, I said, he won't even eat like frosting, you know? And she said, oh, that's normal. I go, no, it's not. It's not normal. I mean, this kid was eating calamari and octopus and, you know, everything you can imagine, salads and broccoli rob and sausage, like we ate real food, you know? Mm -hmm. And when we are talking to kids, right, and they're struggling, right, there are different ways to approach it. So if you are highly verbal and they are highly verbal, you always want to have talk about your sensations to your body. You know, you can say, put your hand on your body where you feel that discomfort, right? And know that when you're talking about discomfort, emotions, and these kinds of things, this is not a one and done conversation. These are conversations that take time for your kids, to, their subconscious brain to feel comfortable with it, for them to speak to it. But you want to get kids to be able to connect to that sensation. If they're overwhelmed by language, you could even say, my son was homesick today. So he knows I do a Likert scale from one to five, sometimes one to 10 for just about everything. So I said, from a scale of one to five, how much does your throat hurt? Right? So, you know, he was able to pin it down, get it. You know, and then I was like, okay, what what level do you need it to be to feel comfortable to go to school? Is it dry? He's like, let's drink some stuff and see if it goes down. So giving kids, you know, and you could do that to I just go, you know, you could give your kid options. Like, tell me this finger, you know, one finger if it's your belly, two fingers if it's this. And again, it's going to take practice for your kids to feel comfortable. So break it down, try to Make it as nonverbal as possible. Try to make it as easy as possible um, and try to get them to connect to where that sensation is. And, and there's another part to that by leaning into that discomfort and saying, okay, well, let's breathe through that spot. I mean, there's, that's called somatic therapies, helping them to have more control over it. Um, because there are things can help us when we, we get our nervous system into a parasympathetic state we can help relieve some distress. It's not going to fully make it go away for everybody, but it can, you know, stress mm -hmm. is a killer for a lot of things. So good communication and make it as nonverbal as possible. And I imagine a lot of parents are saying, how in the heck should I know if this is a Lyme flare or if, is this behavioral? And if it's behavioral, I should be you know, I should be cracking down, but if it's Lyme, a, a flare, and they're really just miserable inside, I don't want to, you know, and it's this kind of battle within, what would you advise parents in that situation? You know, that's a question I face every day when people work with me one-on-one -on -one or, or in any of my communities. And it's, 
there's so much behind that because a parent is when they see an increase in behavior and a flare means there's something increasing the behavior. And when you've been supporting your kid and you feel like you're on the other side of it and you see a spike in behaviors, you're afraid you're going 100% backwards. So parents get scared. So then they go back to their own parenting and they think, I should discipline that thing, you know, like whatever it is, it's going to make it go away, right? Like, oh yeah, okay. Um, But because no, the number one way we learn to parent is from our parents and it's modern times, discipline around certain things, safety issues, you know, those kind of things are important. But we know that really, um, you know, authoritative um, parenting that really gets your kids to be autonomous and and positive parenting combined is really helpful. So when you're questioning, is this a flare or is this the infection? Okay. So if your kid is dysregulated and they're in distress, how is punishment going to help them? right? Now, again, go back to the safety. Are they in a WWE match with their sibling? Okay. <laughs> we got ourselves a problem there, right? Um, and we we always want to make sure, right, that we're not um, dealing with kids when they're overly activated. Your kid cannot hear you. Well, I call it when you're in the red. So you're activated, whether it's normal irritation or a flare, you're going to wait. You're going to help them. But What most of the time kids need in these times of distress is actually a lot of compassion, hugs. And just because you hug your kid because they're dysregulated doesn't mean you're accepting their behavior or reinforcing it. In fact, you're providing comfort for their nervous system to regulate Um, and have conversations after like, okay, Amy, that wasn't the best decision to punch your sister talk about it. Right. And again, kids are going to be defensive at first. They're going to be ashamed. But when you have conversations that lead to solutions and problem solving and helping them to cope, they get used to it. They, they really start to understand this is the way that you figure things out, but punishing a kid because they potentially, it could be a behavior or a flare it's not going to help. And if you suspect a flare and you're seeing a pattern, you know, a lot of these flares, there's a slow decline, you know, go back to what's helped them in the past. Was it cleaning up the diet? Was it meditating every day? Was it doing neurofeedback or PMF? Go back, support their nervous system, or maybe it was a supplement or whatever it was. Go back and do what worked. Um, and focus in on that and also think about what's driving that behavior. Maybe it is a behavior and, and how can you support it from a behavioral perspective without punishment? Is there any danger to helping your child understand that this is something that, that, how do I put it? That is something, you know, after a flare or an episode, let's say with somebody that has a lot of dysregulation and then you're talking about it after, is is it ever detrimental to say that's, that's the Lyme brain or that's, you know, we, we were, uh, because we were doing this, then these behaviors started coming up and blah, blah, blah. Is there any danger in just them seeing something outside of themselves affecting themselves or you know, in terms of not taking responsibility? I have not found that 
And if I got a kid who's verbal, I don't care how young they are. I talk to them about their brain. I get my hand out. I make it like this is the frontal lobes. I talk about how X, Y, and Z affects their brain. And I use it as a point of empowerment, not like, well, my brain's affected. There's nothing I can do about it. So I'm not even going to bother. So instead I flip that script and I'm like, okay, your brain, you know, is a tendency to get more inflammation. And then what do you think helps you? Like, I always try to get the kids to, you know, really think about, oh, I notice, like, oh, I notice when, you know, you um, every day uh, get up before X time, you seem much more calm. How do you feel about that? You know, like, and I point things out, especially when, when kids, right, they're not, they're not developed. They, they don't have their frontal lobes developed. It's like your frontal lobes developed and then you start aging, you know, (laughs) it's too late then too late. And so, you know, you have to kind of really, you know, drop things in for them, give them an opportunity, you know, good communication, which is not always easy in a distressed family, especially when we have sick families, you know, many of my Lyme families, one of the parents has it too. I mean, I have families where the whole family has it, you know? Um, and so you, you sort of tag team it, like who's the one that's operating the best, you, <laughs> you know, you handle this kind of thing, but you know, it's good communication can really help a lot. It's not easy though. And it requires patience and practice. And it's a whole lot easier than screaming matches, high friction, you know, which can happen in any family where somebody's struggling. It's interesting. And and we talk a little bit about how it can bring on, you know, chronic illness can bring on a bit more social anxiety because all of a sudden they're going to school. They may not be able to eat what their kids are, the other kids are eating or go to certain activities. They may be absent from their friends for quite a while and they're going to doctors and their friends may actually even tease them or something in terms of that they're not similar to them. How um, how do you go about talking to kids about that at, yeah. what, at any age, really? You know, it's hard, right? I think anytime you have a chronic illness, whatever, whatever it is, right, you know, you know, diabetes or whatnot, it, or cancer, it's hard. The problem with tick-borne infection or any infections or toxins, whether it's Lyme or pans and pandas, is it's on the inside. And there's so much misinformation about it. You know, they're getting misinformation from doctors for crying out loud. You know, um, I recently worked with a family who, you know, most most of my people aren't local and they fly out and come out to me and they live in a, in a state where the hospital system is not allowed to diagnose you as pans and pandas. They're not even allowed to discuss it in a meeting. And yep. And these are medical professionals, the family, and they came out to me because they were like, this is just crazy, you know, like crazy talk. Um, And so with all this misinformation, that also means you could have people at the school who could be helping to facilitate it, like, you know, a nurse or, or a, you know, teacher, you know, and they don't know right? Usually it's somebody's personal journey that brings them to the knowledge of Lyme. And so I think the best thing to do is assume a school knows nothing and, (laughs) right? 
and bring information to that school, right? And be like, okay, Mrs. Jones, you know, we're going to have a meeting. I want the nurse there. I want the principal there and let them know because if they're there, they can help facilitate things, right? I think that's helpful. I also think really talking to kids about, listen, you know, hey, Amy, you know, Becky in, you know, blah, 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 is not understanding how to support you. And I have seen every permit, you know, every combination, like I've seen some kids be bullied. I've seen more and more kids get a lot of support because mental health is at a crisis level. So a lot of my infectious disease kids, they wind up buddying up with kids of depression and anxiety and all these other things because they get it right. So I think struggling, I mean, neurodivergence is the norm now. So being different isn't as different as it was even five or 10 years ago. So I think that is a vantage point. I don't think there's an easy path. And I think really honing in on your child having one or two buddies and hopefully their parents are open and understanding. I've had my own journey and, you know, received an incredible amount of rejection from people, including my best friend abandoning me. Um, And so it is, I am not different from any of the other mothers who go through this and it's hard, you know, and we chose to do alternative education paths, including homeschooling and never sending the younger kid who's, I don't even want to say he's he's remediated dyslexic, dyslexic, never going to public school. I have the ability to do that. Right. Um, And you would think I live in a state, Connecticut, where Lyme disease is like, everywhere. So much still misinformation at every crossroads. Like it's, it's crazy to me that we, this is just not a standard of, you know, there's a standard of care to check for it, how to treat it, how to educate people. None. Wow. Wow. I'm shocked. I am shocked. Um, Let's, let's turn the corner a little bit and talk a little bit about some things that you might be able to recommend that they can do from the comfort of their own homes. I know you mentioned PEMF and let's talk about those kinds of things and brain brain retraining or back. So, you know, I often talk about a five pronged approach to infections and toxins and, you know, and, and some, you know, three of them are pretty well known, right? So, you know, immune system, really identifying what's there, you know, inflammation, um, and psychotherapy. The other parts of this are stress relief and detoxification. Those are two of the greatest barriers to all these thousands of people that I've worked with that I see them not getting better. And so, uh, and detoxification more, it's its own whole topic, but so many of us have genetic variants, including myself, where we can't detoxify properly. And proper detoxification is essential for healing, okay? And, And stress is tied to that. So once you are in a high stress state, you can't detoxify properly too. So mental health is what I do. And I entered this world because of so many of those people that I saw had infectious disease and were presenting with neuropsychiatric and neurocognitive symptoms. And so over time, right, I have always been integrative right from the get-go in 1992, using food as medicine, you know, homeopathy supplements, always, always 
use them. I mean, they just are part of who I am. And, and what I learned is that the nervous system of somebody with infectious disease, if they were in a sympathetic dominant state and to understand the nervous system, we, our autonomic nervous system manages stress response, normal stress, a normal regulated system goes from a parasympathetic calm state, experiences a stressor, goes into a sympathetic dominant state. And if it's regulated, it comes back down after the stressor is gone. What's happening is we're all moving to these heightened compounded stressors every day, every day, every day. People are not doing anything to counter it. And at the same time, we have these rise in autoimmune disease and infections and toxins. And there's a relationship between the two. And there's a whole field of study called psychoimmunology, the effect of stress on the immune system. So once you're in a sympathetic dominant state and you're living there, you're either going into fight, flight, or freeze, or you're hovering pretty darn close to that, right? Right. And once the nervous system experiences it and has this reaction, your subconscious, your nervous system is going to go more and more into it. Just like the more chill you are, the more chill you are, right? The more heightened you are, that's how your body responds. But once you're in that state, every resource in the body, your immune system, your neurotransmitters, your hormones, they all go to try to figure out what that stressor is. Mm. So that tick-borne infection gets to run amok. And part of healing Lyme is to regulate your nervous system. So sometimes it's from compounded stressors. I find that a lot of my families, adults, but also the kids themselves have trauma, right? Even the medical trauma of this, right, is a lot. And once you're, you know, in that state, again, what are we going to do to bring it down? And so that's where I got involved in neurofeedback, PEMF or PEMF. Um, And I certainly love my supplements. I love therapy, different types of therapy, you know, um, from EFT tapping to somatic therapy. I believe in talk therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy only when the nervous system is regulated. You're kind of wasting your time. Right. Right. I, and what about frequency therapies, anything like that? Yeah. So PMF is a form of frequency medicine. Yeah. And so, um, and just to understand what neurofeedback is and PEMF. So frequency medicine, PEMF is, uh, a, a a type of therapy. It's about three decades old and we know the frequency of everything. So, uh, there are different kinds of devices. Most devices have a general frequency. I actually have my own device where I've created one just for infections and toxins based on eight years of working people with my clinic. So PMF sends a signal to the cell, disrupts cellular communication, comes in with a corrective communication. When it's a general frequency, like like an amp coil or a beamer or there's some other things. There's so many ones out there and there's not, none of them are bad. They're all good. It's like, if you're looking to just calm down, get one, you know? So what it does, the cells start talking and working differently and working healthily. So it can help in a general way, right? Then what it also does next is it pulls you into a parasympathetic state. And then the last thing it does is it reduces inflammation which then improves detoxification. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty amazing tool. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of applications for it and there's different technologies. There's not a lot of technologies where it can be custom designed based on 
those micro issues, like what I do in my center. And then this little mini device that I have that people can, it's small, they can sleep with it. They can, you know, do whatever they want as long as they're not getting wet. Um, and it's a great tool that a lot of people get a benefit from. I love it. And then the other tool that I use a lot and I am able to send people equipment. So that's how I work with people all over the world. Um, and the, what neurofeedback does, nothing comes through the wires. It's brainwave retraining. So I do a brain map and see what's going on and what happens in Lyme. Lyme is, you know, when it's active, what you can see is a lot of overactivity in the brain. Oh right? my gosh, I bet. Yeah. And you can even see like, you can see lesions, you can see all kinds of things or the hyper communication in the brain. When somebody is post treatment and they're actually don't have the infection, but yet they still have maybe anxiety or OCD or they just have the brain fog. It's like it goes in and kind of turns things off for some people. Some people are able to get their, restore their brain functioning. Everybody's unique, right? Like what do you bring to the table when you're here and how long has this been going at? Um, And so what I do with neurofeedback is obviously if it's overactive, I push down the dysregulation. If it's underactive, I'm able to turn it back on. And it's done through really, really simply if you can visualize a computer in front of you, you're hooked to the computer. All it's doing is measuring and providing reinforcement. And the reinforcement, we use EEG neurofeedback. Um, and what it does is based on my protocol, again, pushing down, increasing a brain wave, two to three seconds you're on, you're going to get this reinforcement, which we do movies and shows. So this movie or show won't play unless your brain is producing the exact perfect combination of brain waves. It will do it in two to three seconds. And then you need a series of sessions. You need you need to do it two or three times a week. And most people are doing 40 sessions. If you're doing 10 or 12 sessions and you're like, well, I didn't notice, notice anything because you didn't do enough. It's like a gym. You got to work out. Okay. And, and is that something that goes on indefinitely? Or would you say the 40 sessions usually get you on a good, in a good place? Yeah. So um, I have found, and some people do more, people rarely do less, right? It really depends on what else is kind of going at, right? Um, if there's a lot of stressors around the person, they definitely probably need more. Um, but what I have experienced anecdotally, but also what the research has shown us as far as 10 years out, once you train the brain, the brain is stable over time. And that, that they've looked at the brain six months, one year, three years and 10 years out. I can tell you that I almost never get people back. Uh, I've gotten more people back during COVID because they get a COVID destabilization. Um, but usually it's not, you know, they're, they're coming in um, and it's a shorter number of sessions and we get you back on track. Um, but usually I don't see people back unless they've had some kind of physical or emotional trauma. Once you train the brain, it's like, it's like, oh, this is what you want me to do. And it just actually gets better over time, which is pretty cool. So PMF is, you know, a device that you're using on your own and you want to use it all the time. I mean, I use my PMF pretty much daily, mm -hmm. um, mostly because I want to really keep my cells working properly. I'm MTHFR. I'm not a good detoxifier. I have hemangiomas, birthmarks on my liver. You know, um, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not 12 years old anymore. So I want to keep my cells working properly. And also I 
I'm a spaz. I get excited about everything. And your body knows no difference between good and bad stress. So I'm looking to really counter stress. I think that's the missing ingredient, Allie, that a lot of people have. Like we think our kids don't have stress, but they do. <laughs> yes, they right? do. And, and that just induces or it can make illness so much worse. Um, so much worse. And even if it's, you know, what I like to say, simple anxiety, and there is an infectious disease, it feels icky, you know, and, and, you know, you're not going to wish it away. You know, we need to regulate the nervous system. Absolutely. And anybody, by the way, with even just concurrent con concussions, uh, this can be a huge, huge uh, instigator of stress and anxiety and all of that. It, and, you know, your kids play sports. Of course, they get hit on the head multiple times throughout the years. And it can really trigger so much of this as well. And we're learning so much about that. Um, and and really, I have to say that concussion can be an opener, right? So once you have a concussion, it opens the blood-brain barrier. And, um, you know, we have tick-borne illnesses and bacteria, it's all in our system and it doesn't always rise. It always doesn't always activate, but a concussion can open the, the doors literally to that. And I've seen in some of my most chronic cases, like I just, I get a lot of what we call treatment failure cases. Um, and I always say, whenever I talk, I don't care how complex your case is. I love me a complex case. I do not work with mean people. I do not work with demanding people. You will never get in to me. <laughs> so in this pandemic world where people come in yeah. and say things to me like, Dr. Rowe, you will fix my kid. You know, no, that is, I am not your girl, you know? So um, I like people, you can cry, you can, you can share, but um, we're, we're all looking for the magic wand and I am not the magic wand. A family is a magic wand. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a guide and I definitely am a high level strategist because I've worked with so many people. Right. Um, but I recently had somebody where they were treatment failure, right. And we're talking more than a decade, right. I mean, probably about 15 years. And it all, when I did the brain map, I said, there is a concussion here. There is a concussion. And they were like, ah, ah, ah. well, it turned out there were five. And when they went back and afterwards, there was one concussion that predated the onset, mm -hmm. right? And there was tick-borne illness in there. It was all that. All he had was psychiatric diagnoses and had of been course. in. So there is a connection between head injuries and you're right. You're absolutely right, Allie. Like we don't, we all have an idea that a concussion means you're at, knocked out seeing stars. That's not it at all. Most people do not pass out. And um, any sudden acceleration or deacceleration can produce a head injury if the skull, if the brain smacks the skull in the inside. I think that's uh, startling. To that me. is unbelievable. I mean, yes, I will talk later. But <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I've had, one of my kids has had 10 concussions and, and mo many, you know, the first few were, you knew it was going You on. knew. But then as he got older and, and he would just, you know, not, not even fall. Like a lot of that was just still playing the sport, but I would know afterwards I'd look at him and I'd say, Oh, there's something going on, you know, but they could be so subtle and we so just, subtle. We and once you have the first concussion, just so you know, 
Um, once you have a concussion, you have an 80% chance of getting another in the next six months mm -hmm. because your uh, motor coordination is slightly off. Um, and a second concussion or beyond is really what causes the massive damage. Yeah. So it, that it, first concussion could be horrific, but if you keep it together and you don't get any more, you're probably going to be fine. And, and those other concussions could be so mild. I could tell you stories that blow your mind. Like what? They got another concussion from that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really true. So in terms of the EFT, uh, the neurofeedback and the PEMPs, do you, I know, I know that you work a lot with that, but um, can that, can that be applied to even small children? I mean, oh, yeah. great, great question. So first of all, even though I focus mostly on um, children and then what I call failure to launch down, a lot of people with chronic illnesses get, you know, put into this failure to launch category because they're too ill to really launch and they might get misdiagnosed or have a secondary uh, mental health issue, right? Who Who's not going to have a mental health issue without when they're struggling for years? I mean, it's almost impossible, right? Um, so when it comes to neurofeedback, the uh, three and a half and up is when you can train with neurofeedback. And what happens is the the reason why not every young child is ready. And sometimes I have a kid or who's eight or 10 years old can't do it, right? You yeah. got to really work with a practitioner who knows kids, right? So- yeah. Um, what happens is when you're doing neurofeedback, the subconscious brain is getting such reinforcement that kids get sucked in. And I've only had one kid ever in all these decades, this time refuse neurofeedback. And it definitely was a, you know, friction with them, her and her mom. It had yeah. nothing to do with neurofeedback. It was her trying to get control. And I was like, darn it, she ruined my perfect record. Um, and it can be done all the way into elderly, right? And I get, I do work with adults too. It's just mostly work with kids. And PMF can be done on very young children. So I have like two and three-year-olds doing it mm -hmm. because it's my my device. Or if they're able to lay on a mat, right? They can lay on a mat. But I made this little tiny device that's smaller than an iPhone. It goes in a fanny pack. Um, my wigglers or the kids that are completely shut down with Lyme, like, you know, they're sleeping 20, 30 hours a day. I mean, I've had, you know, not 20, 30, 20 to 22 hours a day, right? This is what can happen. Sure. Um, the parents put them on them when they're sleeping, you know, right. or doing other activities. Cause my device has a one hour, two hour, eight hour protocol, six design, six custom protocols related to infections and toxins to support detoxification, sleep, gut, brain, sensory, it's the, just the issues that I know that everybody's got, body, right. Just yeah. close, to their, close body. to their body. So they, they either put it, you know, on their chest or their stomach. And so we have just a, a very nondescript um, fanny pack. Right. Maybe. I think it's wonderful when children can get this kind of attention and uh, help while their parents are figuring it out. There's, yes. I mean, this is something your kid could sleep with every night. And, and while you're still, you know, working every day because you got to you got to address the medical too you know right. and and you know there are many paths to healing and i'm a big believer in taking the right one for you and it's got to be very strategic but detoxification and calming the nervous systems are non-negotiable 
they have to be part of the care plan. And sometimes when I work with people, they're like, well, I just want to do the one thing. And I'm like, well, sorry, like, that's just not what the body is going to tell you is going to help, right? We, we have to get the body, create a platform for those medical interventions to work. And, you know, being that I'm in the Northeast, but I work with people all over, you know, in terms of other practitioners, some of the best practitioners for infectious disease and, you know, are right here in the tri-state area mm-hmm. because, you know, hello, Lyme disease is named for Lyme, Connecticut, you know, and it, it's, there's a lot, a lot of infectious disease here. Um, and so we, we have to get, take that multi-pronged approach in order for healing to happen. The good news is many detoxification things can be done at home, right? Um, and regulating the nervous system there are many tools or many methods, you know, breath work, all that. It's just that dysregulated kids might not be able to do that. Right. There's only so much that they can do. Only so much. They they have such, I think I have doctor fatigue, but those kids, you know, when they don't understand what's going on with their body, they don't want to be poked at, talked to, they get, they start, you know, yeah, wanting to participate anymore. And you're just trying to help them get better. So I think, I think some of these at home devices that they feel a little bit more, you know, they can just be laying there. I think that's really wonderful. I really have enjoyed our conversation today. And will you just tell um, our listeners where everybody can find you? Yeah. So basically you can find me, Dr. Roseanne, everywhere. And that's D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N.com. I'm on Instagram there. I'm on TikTok there. You can go to Dr. Roseanne YouTube. I think Facebook is Roseanne Kapana Hodge and LinkedIn is Roseanne Kapana Hodge. But hop to my website. Um, I have unbelievable resources for parents. You know, I'm very committed um, to helping parents along their journey. Um, and we just launched a really cool, um, I've been asked my people what they want. We launched these, what's called parent kits. So it's a deep dive into pans and pandas, which overlaps with Lyme. And it tells you what it is, how it affects them. But more importantly, it give, goes over with the best natural solutions. So parents can get started on it. Um, and natural solutions also includes behavioral support and shaping too. There's a lot parents can do when they know the right strategies. And your book? Oh, I got my book. It's going to be okay. Got my podcast. It's going to be okay. My book is literally like all my work in this book. Like oh, I love it that. lays it out. Like it's there. It, you want to know about detox? It's there. You want to know about homeopathy? It's there. Um, and I have over 40 pages of research citations. I don't mess around, you know, been doing this integrative care for a long time and I'm working to change the the field and it's slow mental health um, to really adopt integrative strategies. But, you know, the research is incredibly solid from food to meditative strategies, all these things. And what I say to people, this can be very overwhelming. You've got to pick something from each section and then really stick to it for at least 30 days minimum. And, and, you know, working on your nervous system, we put it on the bottom of our list, but it's really one of the most important parts of this whole thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful to have you here. Uh, Everybody check her out, get her book, find her on Instagram and just, she, she's wonderful. So thank Thank you you. so much, Roseanne. We'll talk soon. And this is Lifetime.